This is an SBC Media Partners production. Swung on, hit high and deep. Right field. Good 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 it is Phillies fans, these are your glove stories with Murph. Let's check in with Greg Murphy. Murphy, you got a special guest, huh? Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Love Stories with Murph. And we are really excited to talk to our guest today. 12 years in the big leagues, eight of them in a Phillies uniform. And he did uh, most of his work on the pitcher's mound. But I would bet that most Phillies fans remember him for the work he did in one particular at bat. And we're going to get to that in just a minute. But help me uh, welcome in Brett Myers to the show. And Brett, uh, good to see you. I know you know what at bat I'm talking about. And we're going to get there, right? (laughs) But uh, yeah, I thought it wasn't the softball bat I just had last weekend. <laughs> well, no, but we can talk about that too. <laughs> no, I'm uh, just kidding, because <laughs> I'm sure that's I'm sure there's a story to tell. But uh, yeah, you know, but what I want to where I want to start is uh, at the beginning for you as you uh, growing up uh, in Jacksonville, Florida, young man playing playing all different sports, and I would imagine uh, pretty good athlete. What, what kind of things were you involved in as you were growing up? Uh, you know, in addition to just baseball. <clears throat> Well, at a young age, uh, when I was born and stuff, uh, my dad used to do a lot of boxing, going overseas and stuff like that. So um, I was all I was brought up in a gym with a lot of his fighters. So obviously, you know, when you're in a gym, there's nothing else to do besides run around and go through the fighters bags. And they used yeah. to get really ticked off at me for doing that. But, uh, you know, I was just learning and, and uh, you know, being in the gym, hit the heavy bag and stuff like that. It kind of was like a natural thing. And, and uh, you know, I remember um doing that and then you know probably at five I remember my uncle taking me to a t-ball tryout and um so I kind of dabbled in both uh for most of my life at least until I was probably 13 or 14 with the boxing and um you know my dad got tired of seeing me get hit and I got tired of getting hit I guess and I started focusing on baseball more but other sports and stuff was just uh you know never really any um you know, team sports or anything like that, or playing on a team, but shooting around a basketball, throwing the football and and learning, you know, those things. I, but I never really played that in high school or growing up or anything. Uh, I did play football uh, my eighth grade year and they made me a defensive lineman. I had no idea what I was doing, by the way. Um, first time ever playing football. And then my junior year, um, I think uh, I, I was on the swim team in high school. Um, and that was all to prepare for the baseball season to try to get bigger and stronger, uh, in the pool and stuff like that. And then, uh, a football rolled to me as we were taking our two laps around the track before swim practice. And I picked it up and punted it. And the coach was like, come here, come over here, boy. And I was like, okay. So I kind of went over there and he's like, kick that thing again. And I said, I did that. And my dad refused to buy me cleats for the football season, I had to kick in Brooks tennis shoes. If y'all know what those are. So uh, he wouldn't buy me cleats cause he didn't want me playing football. Cause uh, the, my dad's past, he played football, had scholarships to go play, you know, uh, D one colleges and stuff right. and ended up breaking his leg his senior year and didn't even get to finish high school. Had to get his GED uh, because he was in the hospital for so long with a staph infection after he broke his leg. I mean, obviously medicine's changed a lot now, but he didn't, through his experience, he didn't want that to happen to me because he thought I had a future playing baseball. Yeah, which and he was uh, he was right about that. You certainly did. And yeah, as you started to focus in on baseball uh, through high school, I know you were a terrific high school player. Obviously, you, I'm sure you played, uh, you know, you pitched in high school, but right. did you play out in the field as well? Where were you? Yeah, I actually uh, would rather hit than obviously most pitchers would say that at this point in their, in their yeah. career and life and everything. But uh, I was more – I. I felt like I wanted to be a hitter more than I wanted to be a pitcher. Yes, I could get on the mound and, and do certain things like that, but it, it kind of, uh, you know, started to evolve, I guess, the older I got and, and uh, you know, understanding the situation of what was going to happen, but I still love to hit. Um, yeah. And I, I, I played first base or I played right field when I wasn't pitching and, and, you know, I, I really enjoyed swinging the bat and, and, that's one of the things I still enjoy swinging the bat, you know, with, uh, you know, with even my kids and stuff like that, the pitching and everything, I, I couldn't stand the uh, four days off. I guess you would say I, I was type of guy that loved to play every day. And um, yeah. that was the hardest transition, I guess, by after getting drafted and everything like that is learning how to sit there for four days and not know your number is not going to be called. So. 
Yeah, and it is. It's an adjustment for a lot of guys because most of you are the best athletes uh, on your team in high school. You're getting a chance to play every day. But when right. when you're pegged to, to be a pitcher and you, and you start in the minor leagues after you get drafted as a pitcher, yeah, that adjustment uh, is a real thing because you have to sit back and, and kind of uh, bide your time for, for every four days, right? Exactly. And, uh, you know, there, there is a lot of work that needs to be done in between those four days before you get back out on the mound. You need to physically prepare and get ready, obviously, with bullpens and conditioning and certain things like that. But I still enjoyed, like, trying to be an athlete. Um, I remember in A-ball, our pitching coach would just go hit me ground balls. Uh, just to, it, And it was working conditioning, too, because I would go back and forth, you know, running back and forth with uh, taking ground balls and stuff for, like, 30 minutes or something. And I still enjoyed the aspects of baseball, uh, not just being a one-dimensional pitcher. Obviously, I still wanted to stay athletic as much as possible. And uh, and I, listen, I was young then. I was I was eighteen, nineteen yeah. years old. And I, the older I got, uh, yes, I did not want to do that anymore. But um, it, it became like a you know a thing that I well, I wanted to continue to be an athlete. I, I remember uh, getting yelled at in the in big league camp one year, still a young kid. And I would be in the cage, just taking swings off the iron mic. I remember Book and all them would yell at me to get out of the cage. I'm going to pull an oblique and stuff like that. And, and I'm going, well, I'm an athlete. I can handle this. You know, if anything, I'm building up my core by swinging the bat, you know, and Vuk's answer was, you're not an athlete, you're a pitcher, darn yeah, it. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. Yeah. That's exactly right. I still yell that. I still yell that today to, like, you know, get out of the way for the athletes. Like, when pitchers try to catch pop flies and stuff, because they try to train you, say, pitcher's the worst athlete on the field. And I, and I beg to differ. I beg I, to differ. I, yeah. <laughs> I think, I think uh, many of you guys have proven that over the years. I, on a side note, you have to be really impressed and kind of understand what a guy like Shohei Otani is going through, trying to right. do both at the big league level and, and having success. I mean, if he could stay healthy, yeah. it's certainly dynamic at both, right? Yeah. And, uh, you know, the days that I pitched, I could never hit for some reason. It just never clicked. Uh, I don't know if I was focused on more of, you know, at least in high school, focused on more of p pitching than I was hitting at the time or, or vice versa. I don't know. Um, I, I, I knew I had a job to do either way. And uh, that, that's something – you know, to flip that switch to, you know, go up there and know that you need to help your team on both sides of the ball is, is pretty impressive. The fact that he can hit a ball the way he's doing it and be able to go out there and compete on the mound uh, with the stuff he has. I mean, he's just a really blessed player and, and uh, it's fun to watch. Yeah, agreed. Very fun to watch. Uh, take me back to the minor league days. You didn't spend a whole lot of time in the minor leagues. Uh, you were pegged for, for the big leagues and made a quick rise through the system, but uh, you had to pay your dues. You spent a little time down there riding the buses. What, what do you remember mm -hmm. most about your days in the minor league? Was it, was it fun? Was it a grind? What was it? Uh, it felt like a decade down there, honestly, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know how they do it nowadays. Obviously I've been there in a while, but um, I mean, the, the biggest story I guess I could tell you is that we had this bus driver in a ball. We called him Mad Max because he would get pulled over like almost in every trip that we took and he would fly down the interstate to get us there and and we weren't quite sure if he knew how to work the heat in the ac because when it was hot out it was smoking hot in the bus and when it was cold out we were freezing in the bus we're like turn the heater on it was uh it was a mess and uh i remember in we, we had guys trying to sleep and i remember ryan madsen getting in the top where they put the luggage and everything trying to sleep up there and it's just kind of like a you know you you get you know, 10, 12 hour bus rides and you yeah. watch the sun, you know, come up as you're rolling into Savannah. I remember coming from Delmarva after an uh, extra inning game and we had to drive all the way to Savannah that night to get there the next day. You try to get as much sleep as you can on the bus, which I never could sleep on the bus. I mean, yeah. you're two to a seat, you know, trying to, you know, you can't really sprawl out anywhere. It's not like we get two buses. It's one. And, and, uh, and the peanut butter and jellies and everything. So I honestly, as a 18, 19 year old kid really wasn't really affected by it. But, uh, now the, I guess maybe the older I get, I, I need more sleep or something. I, I'm not quite sure what it is, yeah. but, uh, it was, I mean, it was, that was the biggest, toughest part playing the games and stuff was, was, a, uh, you know, the easy part, I guess you would say, even though it's not easy, but, um, yeah, just the, the grind on those bus rides and then, you know, double A was probably a little bit better. You know, it gets better each stage, obviously. Yeah. But uh, it, it was it was definitely a grind with those long bus rides and everything like that. 
Yeah, you know, I don't think people quite understand the toll the travel takes. You know, in the big leagues, uh, you're you're living large and it's all first class, but still, it's right. a lot of travel. But when you're doing it down in the minor leagues and driving overnight mm -hmm. on buses, it it takes a toll. The minor leagues are for young guys, for sure. Yeah, <laughs> that's, yep. that's what it's all about. AAA, AAA was still kind of tough i would say even though we flew to most of our destinations but triple a we had to be up at like four o'clock in the morning and catch a five o'clock flight or something like that and land in the city then hopefully catch a couple hours of sleep um at the hotel before the buses go to the field and stuff like that so it's it's always it, it was a grind but you know it, it, it if you if you want to make it you got to get through all that type of stuff yeah, no doubt about it. But you also have to have some time to have some fun, which I'm sure you guys did down at that level as well, because, uh, you know, yep. you're young guys and you're out there on the road and, and that could be fun as well. All right. Well, so you, unfortunately, you to, unfortunately, I wasn't allowed in any places fun because I was 18, 19 years right. old. So it's kind of like, hey, you stay at the hotel. We'll let you know how it went. <laughs> well, maybe that was for the better. Who knows? Yeah, right? it, it, it probably was. Absolutely. Yeah. Tell me a little bit about uh, you get called up uh, and you make your major league major league debut. Everybody uh, that has had that opportunity in their lives, and there's only uh, you know a small percentage of you guys that have ever gotten a chance to make a major league debut. It's something you never forget. What do you remember most right. about uh, your debut? Well, uh, it's kind of a longer story, but uh, so I was in AAA, and Pete Zamora, left-handed uh, reliever we had, we were sitting there watching the Cubs one day, and I remember we were eating like those little cheese balls and everything, so it's kind of funny. And Zamora was giving me a bunch of crap about how much better Mark Pryor was than me <laughs> and because he's already in the big leagues, and I stink or suck or whatever like that, and I'm like, okay, all right. So then probably, I don't know, four or five days later, I got called up, and I was scheduled to face Mark Pryor in Wrigley, which – Wrigley was a big deal to me because I grew up watching the Cubs when I'd get home from school and then the Braves at night, obviously that was the only thing we had on TV, um, you know, baseball wise. And uh, so watching Wrigley field on TV and then actually being able to pitch there in my debut was like pretty special to me. Um, but anyway, I get to face Mark Pryor um, in, in my debut. And I was talking trash to Zamora the whole time that, yeah, that's who I'm facing. Cause I counted it up, and, you know, when I got called up or whatnot. And I said, all right, we're going to find out Zamora who's the best is. And, and, you know, it's one game, obviously it's not, it wasn't me really versus prior. It was our hitters versus prior and stuff like that. But, uh, you know, ended up, uh, getting the win. And, uh, first person I called was Zamora and told him to suck it basically. <laughs> but, so, um, but yeah, that was, uh, just, you know, I, I think if the, the day I, before I got there, so I could like walk around Wrigley and kind of take it all in, but, sure. and that, and that was a big wow to me, I guess you would say just, you know, being in Wrigley field and everything. And, and then the next day I was scheduled to pitch. I actually went and picked my wife up at the airport at like four in the morning, the day I was supposed to pitch. So it was, it was kind of. It was kind of a, a whirlwind, I guess you would say, and and uh, and it, it turned out working out for me. And you know, but that you never forget anything like that. Just the stories behind it, and and uh, you know, being able to get that first one out of the way was like a big relief too. And against Sammy Sosa and some of the big names they had was pretty special. No doubt about it. And hey, you know. You weren't going to get a whole lot of sleep that night anyway, so you might as well get up and, and probably and not. Life. Yeah, yeah, well. probably not. You know, yeah. I think the moral to that story is where would we all be if it weren't for our buddies talking crap on us and, and motivating yep. us to be the best that we possibly can, right? Yeah, that's absolutely because I don't think he meant any harm by it. You know, I guess sure. he kind of he kind of knew my personality enough that to where I would, uh, you know, accept the challenge and not back down from it, too. So, yeah, no doubt about it. All right, so uh, the next couple of years are kind of lean years in Philadelphia. You're finding your way in the big leagues, and the team was starting to to come into you know come into shape that, that was going to be a winning team. But you had some right. lean years. Uh, what do you remember about those those early years, uh, the 2002, three, four years uh, in the big leagues? I've uh, it was just uh, I was still learning, and I think when we got Kevin Millwood, uh, it kind of changed my perspective. He taught me a little bit more how to you know, be a big leaguer, I guess you would say, and how to handle myself and, and certain things. Like I, I was kind of like, I followed him around like a little puppy, you know, yeah. uh, 
with him coming from uh, the organization with the great pitchers that the Braves had back in the day and him being a part of those around those guys. So I tried to soak in as much as I could with him. And, and I felt like that every year through those lean years, if sometimes I felt like we just missed it, or maybe that was uh 05, 06, I guess years that we kind of just missed the wild card, you know, and stuff like that. And, and, and uh, you know, but the, those years of, uh, not winning kind of, kind of just, it made you hungry, you know, and try to try to keep fighting and, and, uh, understanding what it took for, for me, it was trying to make sure my body could handle a 200 inning year. And, uh, you know, learning for myself, I can only speak for myself, just trying to learn how to get hitters out in certain situations and, and little things and just kind of keeping my ears open and, uh, trying to learn as much as I can use what worked for me and what, and, and throw away what didn't work for me. Uh, that that's, uh, that's, it, it was a struggle for, for just for me, because I was a young kid. I knew I had good stuff. I just didn't, didn't, didn't quite, uh, couldn't quite put it all together. Um, until probably Oh five, I would say, um, where I, I learned to cutter and my, my, my command got a lot better and everything. Cause, I was technically a thrower. I was trying to throw it a hundred through my early years and not, right. not be a pitcher. Yeah. You know, I've heard so many guys over the years uh, say that what you just said, learning how to be a big leaguer. And, you know, for folks that, that haven't, you know, or aren't, don't have a front row seat to, to watch it happen. Um, right. Maybe they don't quite understand what that means, but there, there is quite a, a learning curve from going from just playing baseball, even in the minor leagues, being a big league ball player, there's there's a lot more to it than even what's happening in between the lines, is there not? Right, and uh, you know when you get to the big leagues, there's there's uh, guys over there that are equally as talented or even better talented, and and they have an approach. They understand. Uh, they have so much video on you through the minor leagues. You don't have any video on any of the guys, so it's kind of like go use throw your best stuff and. And, uh, you know, you have to learn big league guys' weaknesses and, and everything like that. And I was kind of getting flooded with information that I didn't know how to process, I guess you would say. And, um, you know, in between, throw, go with your best stuff or pitch to this guy's weakness. But then if you throw to his weakness too much, he's going to hit you. And it's kind of like a back and forth and a mental thing. Uh, much much uh, early in my career in the big leagues, that I would stay up at night and just go over their lineup in my head uh i couldn't even go to sleep just too too worried about it um and the older i got the more i just kind of said ah the heck with it you know don't lose any sleep over this just go compete and and uh you know use your best stuff and know their weaknesses and try to try to uh find the happy medium there so you can give your ch team best chance to win yeah and 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 that's the the maturation process that happens with virtually all of the guys and the guys that can't figure that out, they don't hang out in the big leagues too long. But uh, but the guys that do are the ones that that see some success. And so, right. so we'll jump ahead to 2007 because the team had come together at that point, and there was a real uh, sense of optimism in the city of Philadelphia surrounding 2007. You know, it had been a long time since the postseason had had come to Philly, and uh, you get a chance to start opening day, and then midway through the season boom, your role changes and you get back to what you were talking about earlier, getting a chance right. to play almost every day at that point. Take us, right. uh, you became the closer because uh, because of injury. What was right. that conversation well, like when they when they talked to you about that? Well, what most people don't know is that uh, Pat Gillett came to my house that offseason and uh, we were, he was talking about how much starting pitching depth we had and stuff like that. And I just told him, I said, whatever you need me to do, if you need me to close, you need me to, you know, go to the bullpen, pitch out of the bullpen. I don't care. I'm up for anything to help this team win. I told him that. Um, and right before, you know, spring training, um, they had, they had uh, signed me to a three-year deal. I'm like, whatever I need for this, for this team, um, I'm ready to do it. And uh, I kind of enjoyed the fact of, closing uh it was in my head you know i'm like all right i get to go down there and let it eat for an inning you know and, and not have to worry about like i said knowing everybody's weaknesses and trying to get them out three times in an, in, a, in a game um you know go through their lineup three times i only had to get three guys out i enjoyed that fact and i enjoyed the fact that that um i was going to get to play every day but uh pat gillett came to me and then they ended up making the decision um uh, 
you know, probably two or three starts in, I guess I had. And, uh, I said, I'm ready. Like, let's do it. You know, whatever, whatever we need to do to, to give us a push to, to make this run. And I thoroughly enjoyed being in the bullpen just because, uh, for one flash Gordon, Tom Gordon, uh, was a, was a huge contributor to my success down there just because he took me under his wing and taught me the ropes of the bullpen. And I just basically, I followed him around like a puppy dog, you know, here I am yeah. 27 years old following this, you know, in my mind, a legend, you know, yeah. um, and playing with the Yankees with Mariano and stuff and things that he did that nobody said anything wrong to me or bad to me. But when, when I, followed flash gordon's program so i figured i can't get in trouble if i hang out with this guy you know? <laughs> and uh he taught me he taught me a lot of a lot of things uh just you know certain counts or, or certain runs i guess uh if you're if you're up three runs usually the guys take a strike you know if you're, you're two runs you might have to go on the hitter one run they're coming out to hit a home run off of you and certain things like that that i had no idea Right. Um, and it just, it made it a lot easier to know the situation and, and stuff like that. So with, with him being around me and everything and JC Romero and the rest of the guys in the pen, just being down there doing it. And, and I can tell you, it, it is a fun time in that bullpen with some characters because all you do is laugh and tell jokes until, until about the fifth inning, probably fifth or sixth inning when that, when that phone starts to ring, then it gets really serious like <laughs> for the first part of the game. It's all fun and games because we're expecting the starter to go you know, five, six innings and right. and we got this and and uh or or if we're up, you know, a bunch of runs, we know nobody's going in, stuff like that. It's it's a it's a fun time. It's a, you have to be a special kind of funny, I guess you would say, to be a bullpen guy. Yeah, you got you got to be a little <laughs> bit off, right? Just a yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I mean, I've talked to a bunch of you guys over the years. Uh, hey, yeah. so speaking of good times, I have to imagine. Uh, I know what it was like in the city of Philadelphia, that final game, 2007, you're on the mound to close it out. And, and the postseason is back in Philadelphia. What do you remember about that celebration with your teammates? You know, because uh, it had been a long time. It, uh, I get chills about it right now, just because uh, it, it was, it was such, I, th I guess we wanted it more for the fans. We definitely want it for ourselves, obviously, but uh the way we came back through the, through the, I mean, I think we were down seven with like eight or nine to go or something yep. like that and, and watch the Mets fall. And then we had a chance the last day and then the Marlins go and beat the Mets. As I'm running out to the mound, I threw my last warm-up pitch and the crowd's going crazy because it showed final and I'm going, Oh my God. All right. Just control yourself, control yourself. You know, I think we were up four or five runs at the time and I was trying not to get too, too amped up i guess so we're you know i wanted to be under control so i could get these three outs and and uh and it just it was just kind of surreal at the moment and and uh just hearing the fans that loud and what philadelphia what how much a playoff run meant for philadelphia it was kind of surreal at that moment in time and, and i was like man i want to pitch in this atmosphere every time and yeah. um it just it gives you that extra adrenaline when the fans are going that way, and and then you know to get the final out. And I, I always believe, I always thought it was cooler to strike a guy out to end the game to win a, a championship or something like that than it was for him to ground out the third. You know, so <laughs> it's like always cooler to strike somebody out. And I, I was lucky enough to to strike uh, Willie Mopena out, and and I I didn't know what to do. I threw my glove in the air. I I, I don't know and. I, Coasty or I think Burl hit me first and then we all were jumping around and I mean it was it was it was crazy it was just one of those things and, and um, I, I, I feel like we owed that to the fans and I, I think they really enjoyed it as well um, you know I, I shoot I, I I dove in the crowd um yes you know, i remember that <laughs> I, so I was I probably was a mistake because I got beat up pretty good but it was fun i didn't care you know um it was it was it, it was worth it it was worth it once in a lifetime for that moment the first time it is right. once in a lifetime i would imagine right. you guys didn't get a whole lot of sleep that night yeah i don't i don't really know i couldn't tell you <laughs> <laughs> yeah probably not all right well good you. you know so the postseason happens in 07 you guys come back in 08 and and now you know jimmy says you're the team to beat and, and you guys right. finally and, and very similarly you have to come back late in september and, and play great baseball which you guys did right. 
and and you get to the postseason again. And now I would imagine you kind of know what to expect at that point, which makes uh, makes it a little bit easier, right? I mean, you know, right. you, you got there in 07, but in 08, you expected to stay there. Yeah, I, I think uh, in 07, it left a bad taste in our mouth going three and out against the Rockies. I know personally it did for me. I was I was pretty irritated about it. But uh, uh, coming into spring training, uh, well, I knew probably in, I don't know, mid-January, I guess they they, they uh, traded for Lidge and they told me I was going to be a starter. And here I am preparing to be a closer the whole time. And they're like, well, just kind of, you know, let us know, you know, and and uh, we'll let you know. And I was like, okay. So they get Lidge and, and I was, I was a little upset, I, but I'm like, whatever the team needs, you know, I was, cause I really enjoyed closing. I really enjoyed it. I got to play every day. That's the only, the only reason why. Right. Um, and you know, they threw me back in the starting rotation and man, I, I, I didn't know how to start anymore. Um, I was out there trying to strike everybody out. Like you do as a closer, you, the strikeouts are awesome when you're a closer, you know, but as a starter, you got to pitch and, and, uh, you got to be efficient. You can't go out there and try to blow everybody away. And, and I wasn't able to do that. And I was getting, you know, beat around. Um, and that was one of the tough parts of my career, I guess you would say, because they, I kind of said, Hey, put me back in the bullpen. So I, so I can help the team. And they decided to send me down to, get my mind straight, I guess, on how to start again uh, for 20 days, I guess, a few starts in the minors. And, and I went down and, and, um, you know, I didn't want to go at first. I didn't have to go, but then I realized I was being, I was being, I was being selfish, um, at the time, you know, I mean, nobody wants to get sent down to the minor leagues, obviously. So, um, it probably took me a few hours to get over myself, put it that way. Um, and, uh, realized that it was probably best for me and the team to go and, and, um, you know, get my stuff back and get my groove back, I guess you would say, and stuff like that. And, uh, it was, uh, I went to the minors and it just freed my mind and, you know, I talked to, you know, pitching coaches and stuff like that, just to, you know, figure out the game plans and certain things like that. And, and I was able to come back after the all-star break and, and make a little bit of a run for the team, which, you know, I, uh, you know, they, they were supportive in, in me coming back and everything. Plus we got Joe Blanton, who was like my, my, my buddy. So we, we were, uh, we were talking back and forth. I finally had somebody that I could uh, go over hitters with cause he had similar stuff with me. I'm like, I'm, yeah. you just follow me. I'll follow you. However, we're going to do this and, and uh, just go over stuff in the dugout. And, and uh, it, it, it really helped me a lot, honestly. Um, yeah. You, looking back, kinda, it's, it's a lot easier to realize what that did for you. But uh, at the time, I'm sure it was right. very difficult. Yeah. And it was, you know, like I said, it was an up and down year for me. And to start it like on a down note, I think I had like a five, eight, two ERA. Like I, I'm, I was not doing well at all. And, and uh, to get sent down and then come back and help the team win a world series. It, it was, I, I don't know. I don't know a better story to tell that than, than uh, when people ask me, it's like, Oh, what about winning the world series? And I'm like, well, it's going to be a long story because a lot of people forgot I got sent down that year and, and what kind of a roller coaster it was for me to try to get back. And, and uh, I, the, the, the faith and trust that the Phillies had in me to bring me back and put me out there again, after uh, getting my rear end kicked for the first part of the season uh, meant a lot to me, obviously. And, um, that, that, uh, it, I felt like I turned my whole season around and gave us a chance to win a world series. And obviously the guys and everything were supportive. And, and, uh, I know I got, I get mad at Charlie on the mound that year, I think, because I guess the pirates and, uh, that, that had, that was just my competitive nature. I hated getting pulled out of a game, especially when I thought I had it under control, you know, but Charlie said, that's enough. I'm like, I was like, no, it's not. He goes, yes, it is. I said, why? He goes, because I said so. I'm like, all right, well, screw you then. <laughs> and you know what? Charlie appreciates that, too, because he yeah. knows where it's coming from. No doubt about it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So what, what they didn't tell you is the real reason they put you back into a starter's role in 08 is because they wanted to get your bat into the lineup and ha have you yeah. have multiple at-bats in games. And so, yeah. so let's get to it because I, I started this show by talking about that one at bat that I think mm -hmm. Phillies fans will remember you forever. I was right. there. I was in the ballpark that night. It was electric. 
Talk yes, to me was. about being in the batter's box against CC Sabathia, which with the entire ballpark going absolutely crazy watching you take a walk. Um, so what I tell people when they ask me about the bat, I, I find it funny. I was like, you know, I did throw like seven plus innings and yes. two hit ball and <laughs> stuff like that. You know, they, they don't care about that. They nope. don't care about that. And that's okay. That's fine. You know, I'd, I'd rather be remembered than not remembered at all, obviously. Um, but uh, it, when I stepped in there, like I didn't, I'm like, I got no shot tonight. Literally, I, I, th I think I hit 067 that year. Which I like to fathom myself as at least a hundred buck fifty hitter, you know. You know, at least yeah. I, 067 was a down year for me, you know. Um, so I get in the box and I'm not expecting nothing, honestly. I'm, you know, I, I'm just up there trying to grind out in at bat because I knew I had to. Uh, he's throwing 97, 98 miles an hour and with with a dirty slider and change ups and stuff, and and I didn't really know what to expect, honestly, and. Uh, I kept fouling it off, fouling it off. It, it honestly looked like a beach ball to me. And I know that sounds stupid coming from a pitcher, but it, it was 97, 98, but it just, I just felt locked in. I don't, I don't understand why or how some, some hitters can tell you why or how, but I can't, you know, right. I can only tell you when I'm locked in on the mound, you know? Um, and I honestly really didn't even hear the crowd. I didn't even know what was going on. That's and uh, because, because you're locked into a moment, when when uh that what people don't understand is yes you play 162 games in the year but when you step on the field during a playoff run and you're in the playoffs nothing hurts anymore like nothing hurts your adrenaline is through the roof now the days after that you might be a lot <laughs> more sore than yeah. you would be in the year because uh i know that a lot of guys they look at the velocities on on uh in the playoffs and stuff and Yes, you can tick up a couple miles an hour in the playoffs just because of the moment. So maybe that at bat, I was just so locked in. I, I, I don't really know what um, clicked or anything like that. And and uh, I ended up drawing the walk and and uh, then he walked Jimmy and then Shane hit the grand slam. I was like, wow, that 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 really just happened. And I didn't think nothing of it. I didn't think nothing yeah. of it at the time. And, and, you know, you look at a guy like CeCe and, and to see him so rattled. I mean, he was yeah. so rattled at that point. After he walked yeah. you, he really – he couldn't do anything for the next couple of minutes. And, yeah, it was, yeah. It was pretty remarkable for sure. It, and that's – and I didn't even know the magnitude of the moment. Honestly, I don't know if anybody did. And then uh, the next at bat, I think I saw 10 pitches and ended up flying out the center. And then then I then I go to the plate. I'll never forget this. My third at bat, Jimmy and, and a couple of the other guys told me, he goes – he tips his slider, and it was Seth McClung. He's like, he tips his slider when he does this. So I'm out there staring at the guy going, is he throwing me a slider? I, I don't know what's going on. Whatever. He throws me a fastball. I slap it the other way, and I'm like, I don't know what's going on. I don't know what's going on. This is crazy night for me. Um, and it that, and then after the game, all they wanted to talk about was my bat, my, my walk. And... Uh, I was like, I did go one for two, and and and, <laughs> and I did throw seven. Well. Yeah, yeah, and I did throw seven something innings with two hits or something like that. And all they want to talk about is that walk. And I didn't know what to tell them. Just like I kind of don't know what to say about it now because it it was just I was in the moment. It was in the moment. I I don't even know what the, how to tell people how I did it or why he did it. Just kind of just happened it happened you know it, it certainly did and here we are 12 years later still talking about it which which is really yep. kind of cool uh before i let you go i, I we want to touch on a couple more things uh the yep. parade you know so you you win it all and and mm -hmm. there's a world series championship in philadelphia just the second one in team history and that yep. day of the parade was a chamber of commerce kind of day in terms of the weather uh right what was what was that like for you guys? I mean, I know it was it was pandemonium, um, and you guys had a blast throughout the the entire day. What do you remember right. best about the parade? Well, when we got there early, it was um, it was kind of funny because uh, I think we were expecting to have some beverages on the on the uh, float, and there was nothing there. And then one somebody said something that we don't have any beer, and we watched three guys on the other side of the fence, run and grab us cases of beer, like for each float. And I'm like, Oh my God, this is crazy. This is crazy. <laughs> but yes, I'll take some of those. Thank you. And then they tell us, then they tell us like halfway through the float ride or something like that, that 
that we have to make a speech. They're going to put three or four guys over at the link and three or four guys at, at uh, uh, Citizens Bank and a couple guys at Spectrum or something like that. And I'm like, and then they asked, they, they said, you got to speak. And I'm going, I don't know what, what, what am I supposed to say? I don't know what, to, I don't know what to say. Like, I don't, I don't know what to say, but, uh, um, and to watch the fans, it was crazy. There was a guy that threw a Heineken bottle at the float and it, and luckily I caught it, but, uh, it was, they were throwing beers at us and stuff like that to drink and everything. And I was just like, this is awesome. Yeah. Like, you can't get no, no much better than that, you know? And, and, uh, it, they were partying just as, much as we wanted to party and everything like that. And I, I just, it was just a crazy time. And, and to look back over the pictures, cause when you're on the float, you can't see the aerial of the sea of red, just like down every street. And, and it was, it was intense and, and uh, awesome at the same time. And it's kind of, kind of like what reaction do you want to, do you want to give as highlight of your life? I mean, how many times the guys get to win a world series and especially in a city like that, I yep. don't think any parade, can ever match that in my wildest dream in any city. We, if I'd have won another world series or anything, there's no parade that would ever match to the city of Philadelphia's parade. In my opinion, I might yeah. be a little biased uh, here, but I'm a little biased too, but I think you're, you're dead on uh, th this city wins like no other city. It doesn't happen as often as we like, but when it That's happens, right. they, they win right. like nobody else. Uh, all right, Brett. So nowadays, you know, so you're living like the best life because you're a major league <laughs> ball player and every major league ball player wants to be a, uh, the front man of a band. And, and, and now yeah. you're the front man of a band, you know, you're, yeah. you're doing music. And, and if people haven't checked out your music yet, and, and especially if you're a country music fan, um, you really have to, what you're doing is, is, is a lot of fun. And I know you're having a blast doing yeah. it. You're not. Absolutely. Uh, you know, I started uh, actually Kevin Camasholi uh, started teaching me guitar when I got to the big leagues. Um, I knew a little bit, but uh, me and him would spend uh, time in the in the video room before I got my work done or after I got my work done. And even on the road, we'd have a couple beers in the room and he'd teach me some stuff. And it kind of like I had a passion for playing guitar and music and everything like that. And uh, and then I guess I got I got hurt in 2013 and one of my buddies from a band came and stayed with me in Cleveland and, and I didn't really have nothing to do. So I started writing songs and stuff and I got home and my buddy, I played high school ball with played in puddle of mud and he's produces music. And he's like, Hey, I said, Hey, I got these couple songs that I did. They're just kind of demo. I want to know if you, I, I like writing music. I like writing and telling a story. Um, um, I like telling people a story through song and, and stuff like that. And then he's like, okay, well, let's come in and do it do a song and i said okay and i went in and did a song and and i'll come up with these crazy ideas and then try to tell a story around it and then we did finish the song he goes get in there and sing it i said absolutely not you're the singer <laughs> like you you were that you were the signed recording artist to be a singer i would why am i getting there singing? i just wanted to write the song i think it's great and he goes nope you're singing it so i left I didn't get in there and sing it. Two weeks later, he calls me up, says, I got some buddies coming over. You want to come have some beers? I'm like, yeah, sure. So I go over there and I think we were about four or five deep. And he goes, let's go to the studio and hang out. He's like, here, here's a shot. I'm like, oh boy, do a shot. And then he goes, all right, get in there and sing. I'm like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's amazing how much easier it is at that point. Right. I know the liquid courage, man. And that, and I, and for like, it, and I hated it. I absolutely hated it because I didn't know how to do it. It's so more or less uh, kind of like pitching, you know, once you, you gotta, you gotta, you know, practice to get better. And uh, I didn't think nothing of it. Um, but like over the years, I, the sound has gradually changed. I've pushed my voice a little more and he, he was actually my vocal coach because he was a singer and everything. So he still helps me with certain things. And, um, when I first started, it was, it was a struggle and I absolutely hated it. I still don't like it. Now I sweat like a pig when I get in there. <laughs> and, then, and then, then, uh, he told me after we did our, our second album, he goes, we need to take this show out and play on the road. And I said, that ain't happening wow. either. I'm like, no, no way. I said, if we play an arena, then I'll do it. If I get an arena show, I'll do it. I'll be damned two months later, the Jacksonville Sharks call and they go, Hey, you want to play a halftime show in the arena? I'm going, 
Oh boy. Here I practiced go. for like, I practiced for like three and a half months and it was only two songs because I was so afraid I was going to mess the words up. Right. And people go, you get nervous before you go out and sing the songs. Like, I was like, yeah. They're like, well, you pitched in front of 40,000 people. I'm like, I also did that since I was five. Yeah. You know, you, me you mess up new. your words to a song. They'll never have you back. Yeah. You know, like if you don't put on a good show, they're going to be like, oh, that guy sucks. So I, I, th I think it's I think it's awesome. Where, tell people where they can see it, because, uh, you know, you've got a lot of videos online. A lot of your songs uh, right. are, are readily available online. So where can folks find it? Uh, people can go to brettmyersmusic.com. Uh, it's on spot. All of our stuff's on Spotify. It's on uh, iTunes. It's on Google Play. It's pretty much anywhere you can find your music digitally because uh, CDs are kind of obsolete these days, I guess. But uh, if you wanted to touch your fingertip, you can go to any digital store and, and pick it up and our new album is coming out either i think i'm gonna say next month i haven't put a release date on it yet but it's called wrong side of the tracks and uh, we just finished it up uh last week so hoping to get that out and uh, soon and uh so everybody can enjoy that well i'm telling you if, if folks uh you got to check it out because it's really great stuff and 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 you know it's it's fun to watch you having fun doing something other than playing baseball yeah. and that is making right. music uh because uh we've always had fun watching you play ball and now we're getting a chance to watch you do something else so uh, right. i i'm happy for you brett i really appreciate you spending a couple minutes with us and telling your glove stories as well um it's always good to talk to you thanks for having me murph all right brett myers here on glove stories with murph when we come back we're going to talk to Larry Boa and relive one of those games from the 1980 season. We'll be right back on Glove Stories. Welcome back to Glove Stories with Murph. And it's the time on the program where we relive one game from one of the two best seasons in Philly's history. This week, 1980. And we welcome back Larry Boa, of course, who is going to relive these games with us all season long. And Larry, uh, we started a couple of weeks ago and we talked about opening day. Now we're going to fast forward to May 26th, 1980 pirates at the Phillies. Now let me set the stage because the team in April went six and nine and it was, you know, kind of, kind of your thing to have slow Aprils uh, for right. the 1980 or for that, that time in the seventies and the eighties, when you guys were all together, you guys kind of struggled out of the gate and you did, you did 1980 as well. You know what, Murph? I don't know if it's the cold weather or what. We we did. I can't remember a year, especially when we won those divisions and the World Series in '80, where we were red hot in April. Yeah, it's sort of like we just win one, lose two, win another one. And obviously, if we could have played 500 in April, we'd have been very happy. But I, uh, there wasn't too many where we played 500. But we seemed to kick it in once the calendar turned and. Of course, we didn't need any incentive when we played the uh, Pirates. It was no, uh, those Pirates. What a great rivalry back then yeah. uh, across Pennsylvania, Phillies and Pirates. All right, so so in May, May was a good month for the Phillies. That you started out the month winning fifteen of your first twenty-one games in the month of May. You had a four-game winning streak when the Pirates came to town on the twenty-sixth, and at this point, you were four and a half games back when May started, one game behind the Pirates in the NLE. So. Big series, late May. Pirates jump out to the early lead, top of the first. Bob Walk walks a batter. Willie Stargell hits a two-run home run. In that lineup, I mean, you talk about from top to bottom, the guy, the names in that, it's one one monster after another. It's unbelievable. They had the speed at the top was Moreno, who could steal all yeah. kinds of bases. Then in the middle was Stargell, Parker, Robert, Robinson, and Bill Madlock hit sixth, I think, which is unbelievable because this guy – always in the top five in, in uh, batting average, but that was a difficult lineup to go through. Uh, and, and as you said earlier, that, that was a big time rivalry game with us. Every time we played them, we would have bench clearing brawls. There wasn't one in this game, but uh, I look back on that, you know, people talk about rivalries we did not like them and they did not like us. And as you, you'll, you'll recall a lot of these 80 games, where we had a couple of them as, as you move oh, yeah. forward with this 80 season. But uh, that was a game that I felt we had to win because we're already four and a half out. You know, you don't want to get too far behind a team that, that has the uh, the makings of, of winning another championship. Sure. They're a very good baseball team. So I, I'm not saying it was a must win Murph, 
but it was a game that we knew we had to, to try to win the first game of this. Yeah, no doubt about it. A big series early in the season. And, and you know, and that happens, and you look back at those late in the season, you think, ah, if we had only, you know. So that was the mindset as you go up against the Pirates. So they take the early lead to nothing. You get one back in the second. Derry Maddox doubles. Then you're up, and you double to right field off of Burt Bylevin, who is no easy task, right? Murph, that, that guy's curveball was probably as good as anybody's ever seen. You know, and I, I'm even looking in the, in the modern era now. It was one of those 12 to six cur- 12 to six curveballs. It starts by your drill of your hat and ends at your ankles. Uh, and plus, he threw hard and he was mean. He would throw yeah. at you in a minute. But uh, anytime we played that that team, and of course, Bly Levin on the mound, we knew we were in for a for a dogfight that particular night. He very seldom gave up a lot of runs, and we were fortunate tonight to to get to him a little bit. Yeah. All right. So you're down to one, but you go on the board top of the third Omar Moreno, who you talked about, he walks. You don't want to do that because then he steals second, gets sacrificed. The third scores on a failed pickoff attempt. Uh, Booney threw the ball away, I guess, at that point. Uh, and Omar Moreno able to score. So at that point, it's five, one pirates in the third. You guys are up. Schmidt walks after two ground outs. Maddox homers makes it five, three. What a day Maddox had that day. Three for four, two RBIs, three runs scored. And you know what? That is just, you think about everyone in your lineup and that season, it seemed like depending on the box score, someone had a big game, a different guy each and every night. Yeah. We, we had the type of team in 80 Murph where we, we could beat you nine to eight. We could beat you two to one. We could steal bases. We had a good defense, but the one guy that I think is sort of unheralded on that team was Maddox. Yeah. If you go back and check the video where this, he played the shallowest center field of anybody I've ever seen. You know, they called him the secretary of defense out there. And he had left field bull who was, if the ball was hit the bull, he'd catch it. But bull wasn't really fleet of foot. So he had to cover a lot of ground at left center field. He was a tremendous center fielder, a gold glover. He came up big all year for us in 19. He really did. And, you know, people do talk about his defense, but I don't think they talk about his offense enough because he came up time and time again with big hits. If you go back and watch the season again, he was always kind of right in the middle of things offensively as well. And he had a great game in in this one. So bottom of the eighth now, Phils are down 6-4. Maddox singles again, steals second. You move him over to third, and then Manny Trio singles him home. It is to 6-5, and so you guys are creeping back, and it's a good sign against this Pirates team. Right. You know, you said I moved him over because back then we did play the game. Yeah. If there was a man on second, whoever's up, you better hit the ball to the right side or your teammates are going to let you know. So I was able to pull a ground ball over there. And that's how the game has sort of changed now and, and back then. But we sort of played that get them over, get them in type of game. And it, can't get, it got us to within one run. And, you know, we did that all year. Yeah. You know, guys knew what their roles were. We had the guys in the middle that hit the ball of the ballpark. The other guys moved runners, stole bases, and played good defense. So that's that's the kind of baseball that we played in 80. Yeah, yeah, no doubt about it. So you get the run back, and you played it for one, and you got it. So 6-5, but it sets up the bottom of the ninth now with the same score to Colby on the mound now for the Pirates. Schmidt doubles to lead off the inning. Luzinski infield single which when was the How'd last time happen? you could say that? I know. <laughs> I would love to see that play again. Uh, Boone doubles, and that ties up the game. All right. And then they walk Gary Maddox, who had been the hitting machine all day. And in steps Larry Boa. They walk Maddox to get to you, chip on the shoulder, right? Come on. Oh, big time. I mean, let, let's face it. Teak was a right-handed pitcher. Maddox a right-handed hitter. And I'm switch hitting. I'm a left-handed hitter. So I'm saying, okay, they got to try to pitch to Maddox. And, and then I can see if he got behind 2-0 and or 3-1, sure. and one, put him on. But they put him on. And anytime someone does that, I mean, you're not angry. You say, hey, that's what the manager wants. And I was very fortunate. I got a base hit by Willie Stargell, and it won the ball game. And to this day, every time I, I see Teak, that's what we call him, he says, I can't believe you beat me that game. <laughs> and I said, I can't believe you walked Maddox to get to me. And he laughed, you know, anytime you can, can go back and and talk about things that happened, but it was all in good fun now, but back then he was very upset and it was a big win for us. We, we beat the pirates and uh, moved us again closer to first place. Yeah. Yeah. And actually moved you into a tie for first place in the NL East. Uh, You dropped the next game, ended up winning game three of that series. So it's high for the NL East as May was ending. So you were right where you wanted to be. And in, in, there was a lot more that was going to happen before it was all said and done uh, a roller coaster ride, of course, through the rest of the summer. But at that moment, 
Phil's tied for first in the NL East. Uh, and that's what Glove Stories is all about, is we do relive some of the great games during that season. Larry, great to talk to you. We'll talk to you again in a couple of weeks where we uh, jump ahead to June and see what the Phil's are doing then. All right, Murph, you take care. All right, Bo. Larry Boa joining us here on Glove Stories with Murph. We'll be coming right back. Welcome back to Glove Stories with Murph, and we welcome in Kevin Franzen from the Phillies radio broadcast team and the host of his own podcast, Pine Tar for Breakfast. If you haven't heard that yet, check it out. It is outstanding. Uh, Kev, good to see you. Thanks for being with us. Murph, great to be with you. Yeah, I knew you were going to say that. Hey, let's talk a little bit about the, this 2021 team because, you know, it, we talked how hard it was going to be out of the gate for this team. And, and you know, so far, so good in terms of the way they've been able to uh, to win some ball games early in the year. And that's important for this. Yeah, team. no, absolutely. And it, look, last year they won two games without hitting a homer. Yeah, two. And they've won three already. And that that to me says something because look, the the name of the game is obviously the, the get guys on base, try to drive them in. Hopefully it's a lot of homers and everything and right. Shut them down. Uh, when you don't do that, how do you respond? And I feel like this offense has found ways to do things. Uh, they've struck out quite a bit. This is, a, this is something that Joe Girardi had talked to us about, you know, uh, before the season was that they want to limit strikeouts. And right now um, it's quite a bit to be honest with you. Uh, so finding ways and making the most of opportunities, I think, I, I think they're capitalizing on right now. Right. Yeah. And, and so then you look at the pitching staff and it is like, almost, we're almost one time or two times through the, the, the starting rotation. And it has literally been uh, one or the other good or bad, but not bad. in between. And uh, that's, that's something I think that needs to clean up. And it's only two starts for each guy but it needs to clean up yeah. and the bullpen has been fantastic. Um, th there's a lot, there's a lot of positives. There's a lot of things that you could just sit there and say, Hey, look, by the way, this is, this is real, right? This is a negative for us. This is something that we have to build on. Um, and I think the consistency part all over the field is the biggest thing. Yeah, I, I think that's fair. And, and I think, I don't know what, how you think about this, but I look at that, at least the top three of the rotation. And I say to myself, you're going to get more good than bad throughout the course of the season. It, it was a little bit uh, disturbing to see how, how, you know, quickly all three of them could not build off of their first start, but I'm pretty confident that what we saw in their first starts is going to be a little bit more of what we see this season than what we saw in their second. I would agree with you. I would agree with you. I would also, uh, I mean, first two starts, look, the the three guys, especially if you go, you know, Nola Wheeler and uh, and Eflin, who'd they face? They face the same team. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And so teams are going to make adjustments on you. Yes, you can go out and dominate. You could do everything. But that next time, they will have a different plan. You might have a different plan as well. But at the same time, you might just keep on going back to the well because you're it worked the first worked. time. Yeah. Only five days or six days prior. So... Uh, I very hesitant to make the inconsistency, like, you know, parts of, of the whole thing. It was, it's, it's harsh to say because of who they faced. Um, but, uh, the more good and bad, absolutely. Um, and, and look, Aaron Nola, is he an ace? I don't think so. I think he's a hell of a one. Mm -hmm. And I think there's a difference there. You know, where you get the ace status, you got to do it in the postseason. And, and that's where and, and it's unfair to say that because he hasn't been there. But at the same time, it's true. I mean, you know, you're and, not an ace until yeah. you get there and show it. Yeah. And and hopefully he gets that opportunity uh, sooner rather than later. And a lot and, of opportunities. Yeah, <laughs> no doubt about it. Um, the old adage is if you pitch and and catch the ball, play good defense, you're going to win a lot of games. Hey, let's talk about that pitching right yeah. now. Huh? Well, the, 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 the pitching, <laughs> the pitching is going to be OK, I think. But but are you concerned about the defense? Right yeah, now? let's talk about the pitching. Okay? Yeah, I know. Yeah. I know. Uh, yeah, it, it, it does concern me. A uh, couple things. Range, not there. Uh, that's why the shift is such a big thing. And, and people want to, you know, hate on the shift and all that stuff. It's like, well, for a team that is lacking in range, how do you do it? Well, you could take away with it from the use of the shift. 
Um, I think that is huge. I thought bottom of the ninth with one out, Ronald Acuna Jr. up fast as hell, hit a 108 mile an hour, uh, you know, ground ball to shortstop, beat it out with a 419 down the first. Mm-hmm. Fantastic. He hits a slow roller to Alec Bohm, who had struggled the entire time. I thought was one of the most impressive plays that kid could have ever made, yeah. ever. Yeah. Based on everything that had happened, he just he he accomplished something there. He didn't fumble it around. He didn't think, and he threw a strike over to Reese. That is a huge thing. Now, is it a concern? It is absolutely a concern because we've seen this from Alec, but we've seen nothing but put your head down, grind. Put your head down and grind. This guy can rake. We know that. But that's not what he just cares about. And yeah. so that that's a big thing. Um, the outfield defense, I, I think we're seeing better range from, from Kutch. Mm-hmm. Center field, it's uh, pick your battle. Mm-hmm. And I, I think Bryce is playing a good right field. So it, for me, it's just the infield defense. If you're going to have guys that are going to be ground ball guys, guess what? You, you got to have guys that, that catch it, gather it, throw it, right. and get the guy out. Yeah, and we haven't seen that as consistently as you would hope. But, you know, it, it's early. Hopefully it, gets it is better. early. But it to your early. point about Alec Bohm, I think the most impressive thing about that particular play that you're talking about was that he obviously was ready in his head. And he said, look, if, if there's a slow roller to me, I got to get rid of it quickly because I saw what happened in the first inning. Yeah, that, that that's good maturity for a young player to kind of assess the situation and then and then you know physically is one thing but mentally to be yeah. in that moment is is even better i think i agree but i also know that as an infielder the the number one thing on the map like when you're when you're pre-pitching the number one thing that goes through your mind isn't positioning isn't whatever it is where's the speed speeds at home plate there you go like okay. your clock is already starting to go um for a guy that's made mistakes and I've made them in many games and, uh, and I've made them multiple in many games, your mind's spinning, your mind's spinning, your mind's spinning. It's like, you're trying to grab those, your thoughts. You're like, Oh my God, you got to go back to number one, speed of the runner. That's number one. Right. And then you get pre-pitch, um, you know, where you are as far as positioning, but where, what he did in my mind was he said it before he said it, it was just one of those effort moments, right. Where you just got to go. Yep. Speed of the runner, we can't think about it. Let's go. And it, sometimes it is actually the best. Yeah, don't think. You know, when there when there's a guy, I, I've told you this, there's multiple times where there's a guy uh, at home plate that'll dog it down the line, and as a third baseman, you get it, you gather, and then if you glance at him, oh, it was good night. Like, yeah. I had no chance. I would throw that thing so far in the dirt because you let up. Yeah, you spike it a little bit. And I think there's a little bit of that going right now with Alex. Yeah, I think you're it, right, and, and it, give Reese a lot of credit because he's he's made most of the plays over there. Most of them, he's helped, most of he's them. helped them out. Um, but see, like you go back on the Didi one. I mean, Acuna has shown nothing down the line really, unless it's been a slow roller in his career. Mm-hmm. Truly, yeah. And he had a bullet to shortstop, and he's busting it down the line. That kind of caught Didi off guard. No doubt, it absolutely did. Yeah, give him credit. All right, before I let you go. Uh, one major concern, I think, that has been – it's more than just this year. It's over the last couple of years. This team can win at Citizens Bank Park and, and win consistently there. Yeah. They haven't shown they can do it so far on the road yet. Uh, you know, it, I, I know, again, we've only had – it's a small sample size this year, but you can't win a division unless you can win on the road. Is, is that a real thing with this team? Can... Well, yeah, absolutely. Um, any I'm not going to say any division, but most divisions – most divisions, you can win. You could be 500 on the road, be fine. Yes, you have to be a little bit over 500 in this one. And how do you do that? You got like just exactly what we, we talked about. You got to pitch and, and, and catch the ball. Right. We're going to talk about hitting everything, all the offense. I, I just think that that'll, that'll go anywhere, right? That'll travel. Pitching and defense on the road is how you minimize mistakes more than anything. Uh, and capitalize on on other teams' mistakes, but you you capitalize in those moments on getting a couple runs, shutting them down. How do you do that? You play catch. Yep. And we haven't seen that. You know, it's three games on the road, but we've seen a lot of mistakes. You know, a couple couple runs scored. Guess what? We give them up free nineties. Uh, so that is a, a, a concern when it comes to road games. 
but it is a real thing. I, I do not think that I think for the mentally strong teams, you're good on the road. Yeah. Right. The I teams that are successful are the most mentally tough. And what, I mean, the most mentally tough moments are the ones that are bases loaded one out. What are you going to do? You know, there was so much on that, that first and third play with one out with Alvarado on the mound. And it's like, that happens once a year and not for every team, you know? So it's it just being in the moment, capitalizing, not giving free nineties, playing smart baseball on the road. And, and guess what? Those are the mentally tough teams. And hopefully this team uh, figures that out sooner rather than later. Uh, Kev, always good to talk to you, my friend. I appreciate you coming on. Uh, You're welcome, man. Philly's radio broadcast team and the host of Pine Tar for Breakfast. Yeah, that's right. That's yeah, right. that's right. Check it out if you can. Uh, <laughs> Kevin Franson, good good to see you. We'll talk to you soon. Well, once again, we want to thank our guests, Brett Myers, Larry Boa, and Kevin Franson for joining us on Glove Stories with Merck, which is a presentation of SBC Media Partners. The engineer for Glove Stories is Chad Evans. Cindy Webster is our marketing and guest relations director, and our executive producer is Roger Haddon. Whether you're watching us on YouTube or downloading the podcast from one of the major podcast providers like Apple, Google, or Spotify, make sure to hit like and subscribe so we can let you know when new episodes are available. We'll release new episodes weekly through the 2021 Major League Baseball season. We'll see you next time.